Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Your word, you've promised that your word would not return unto you void, but that it would accomplish what you so desire. And we just submit to that this morning and ask you to speak to our hearts and our minds and our souls and feed us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor uh, Bill is going to be starting the Gospel of John uh, when he comes back. And so he gave me permission to give you guys a little teaser. So I just pulled the verse out of chapter 1. Um, verse one, verse uh, chapter one, verse fourteen says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth." Verse seventeen: For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then in chapter fourteen, verse six, Jesus said again, He said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." But what does that mean? What is truth? You know, that's an age-old discussion that has been debated for ages and by both the secular world and the church. Questions range from just as far as you want to take it from, is there a God? Why are we here? Where did God come from? Is heaven real? Does hell exist? Does evil exist? Um, are there absolute rights and wrongs? And on and on. And today the church seems almost as confused as the world about what is truth. And so we could... You know, Christians today argue over issues and doctrines and theologies that really should be clear-cut according to the Scriptures. And, and uh, so we can't address the infinite possibilities this morning of what is truth. That could take months and, and years. So I boiled it down to just a few, few things I want to talk to you about this morning. What is the truth about me? What's the truth about man? What is the truth about us? What is the truth about God? And what is the truth about the Christian life? Well, to begin with, to talk about what's the truth about man, we have to start at the beginning. We have to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You'll find that God has kind of created all this vast universe. He spoke it into existence. The, the stars and the galaxies and billions and billions of stars, he spoke those things in existence, and he created this little orb called Earth. And he created life on it. He created light, and he created animals and then he decided in verse 26, he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And then in verse 27, he didn't waste any time. He went ahead and did it. Verse 27, he made man in his image. But what does that mean? What does that mean to be made in the image of God? Well, a, a biblical scholar named Dr. J.A. Kleins in his article, The Image of God, says that um, Thus we may say that according to Genesis 1, man does not have the image of God, nor is he made in the image of God, but is himself the image of God. Humankind then was created to be a copy or a graphic image of the Creator, a formal, visible, understandable representation of who God is and what he's really like that we are to be a mirror image of God into the world. When God, uh, I, I did a little research on this with focus on the family, and Dr. Stanley's website said 
that what it meant to be created in the image of God was that we were spiritual beings, just like God's a spirit. Uh, the Bible teaches us, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that we live in a multidimensional kingdom. There is a physical kingdom and there is a spiritual kingdom. And in case you don't know it, we're in the middle of a war. Um, the, Paul says that what is seen is temporary. All of this will pass away, but what is unseen is eternal. And so God has created us to be in his image in the fact that we are a spiritual being as well as a physical being. There is a part of man that will never die. God created you to be eternal. He created you to last forever, just like he's going to last forever. He also not only gave us spirituality, but he gave us morality. We know we have the uh, capability to understand right and wrong. He not only gave us that, he gave us reasoning. Reasoning enough that we can understand who he is, this great and glorious God, and that we can have a relationship with him. He also made us creative just like him. Look at all of the, the inventions and the, the, the things and the, the artwork, the music that people have made. It's a part of the reflection of God's image in us. And so when God created us, we were the crown jewel of creation. Think about that. All those vast stars and galaxies, God's crown jewel was man. But if you study in Genesis, you'll find the truth about man is something terrible went wrong. It went wrong. We had Adam in the garden, fellowshipping with God, communing with God, walking, talking with God like they were best friends, and he was buck naked. Think about that. And we know that God placed him in the garden. He told him not to eat of the tree, and they did. And what happened? Well, when they ate of that tree, God's image was not lost, but warped, twisted, bent. Um, you know how that God forbade them to eat the tree and the serpent beguiled these. And what's the first thing that happened? You know, he said, the Lord said, if you eat this tree, you're going to die. And we know they didn't physically die right away, but they died spiritually. They became sin conscious. They, they were afraid of God. They hid. They hid in the garden. They became sin conscious. They became self conscious. They became aware of their nakedness and they, they sowed leaves to cover their nakedness. Remember? Um, they made clothes for themselves. They became self centered, self protecting. Remember what Adam said when God asked him, said, Who told you you were naked? And he said, Did you eat the, of the tree? And Adam said, You know, I don't think I would have done that if you hadn't given me that woman. It was, it was her. It was her. That woman did it. And when he asked, look, when God looked to Eve, what did Eve say? It was the serpent. They became self-protecting. They became self-centered. And the whole world was changed because of their choice. This is where survival of the fittest came from. This is called covering your backside, taking care of me, looking out for number one. Um, I used to read, uh, I studied a couple books by a Chinese Christian named Nito Shang. Uh, his nickname was Watchman Nee. He says, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Now, that sounds like double talking until you think about it. But why am I a Klein? I'm a Klein because my father was a Klein. Why was he a Klein? His father was a Klein. Paul puts it this way. By one man centered into the, sin entered into the world, all the world became sinners. But by one man's righteousness... We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how innocent 
and beautiful a, a young child is, you can see the image of God in them, can't you? you can, there's just something special and precious about a little baby. I don't know if you guys are like that, but I'm baby crazy. I mean, I just love babies. I mean, I don't know where I got that, but I, I just love babies. But you can see the goodness of God in a child's face, can't you? But you ever notice that you don't have to teach them to lie, that when they get older, they just kind of automatically learn how to fib? Have you noticed that you never have to teach them how to be selfish or self-centered? It just comes natural because of our fall, because of what happened in the garden. Romans 5.19 tells us that by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. The scripture says, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none uh, the, the, there is a pathway that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. The whole earth has paid the cost of, of our rebellion. Romans chapter 8 says the earth groans and travails waiting for the deliverance from the curse and the revealing of the sons of God. So that's the truth about man. The truth about man is we are lost without hope, without God. So what's the truth about God? In John chapter 14, verse 5... Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for, for his soon-to-come crucifixion and, and ascension and resurrection and so forth. And he was talking to them there. And, and Thomas asked him, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus gave that famous verse 6 answer, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I'm sorry, Oprah, there's not many ways to God. I'm sorry, there's only one way. Uh, if Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father. Also, he says, from now on, you know him because you have seen him. But Philip said, show us the Father and it will suffice, it will be sufficient. But Jesus said, Philip, man, I've been with you all this time and you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So what's the truth about God? Is We've heard sermons that God's angry. He's up there in heaven and he's just ticked off at, at the sin on the earth. And we've got some of us have a warped image of God. But if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. Jesus' life is the image of God. And it's not just the image of God uh, uh, in Jesus, but it's an example. He is our pattern man. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. What does that mean? A lot of us seem to think that the miracles and the things Jesus did, oh, well, that, that's because he was God. Well, he was God. But let me tell you, when he left heaven, he left all that supernatural power and he became a, 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 a little baby in a teenage girl's womb and he opened himself up and made himself vulnerable to this world. And when he operated on this earth, he didn't operate in supernatural power that he had when he was in heaven. He operated as a man in communion with his Father and his Father's power. What did he say? Jesus said, the words that I speak, they're not my own. He said, if I testify myself, my testimony wouldn't be true. Read John. Our pastor's going to get all this good stuff that's in the Gospel of John. It's going to be the best Bible study, you guys and a series of sermons you've heard. There's so much good stuff in there. Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. He says, when you want to know about God, look at Jesus. Jesus' life shows us what God is like. 
We like to quote John 3.16. We say, that, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have every la- everlasting life. But we forget that next verse. He says, God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. I know a lot of us have been in churches where they beat the sheep every Sunday. They've just condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. Look at Jesus' life. He never condemned anybody. He loved. The rule of God is love. Look at Jesus' life. In John chapter, um, or in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, I came to save that which was lost. Well, a lot of times we think that's people, but what was lost was our relationship, our fellowship. The image of God in our life was lost. In Luke 19, he says pretty much the same thing. Luke 19.10, he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. In Acts 10.38, Peter gets up under the power of the Holy Spirit and he preaches. He says, he says this Jesus, God anointed him uh, with the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So Jesus' life was like a medic dropped into a war zone. Everywhere he went, heal the sick, feed the poor, preach the good news of the gospel that God is a God of love. He has he sent his only son to redeem us from the fall. I want to take a moment here and talk about two different worldviews. There's one worldview that is uh, kind of prominent in some areas. And it's called, I'm going to call it the extreme sovereignty view. It says that because God is omnipotent, sovereign, omnipresent, he must also exercise omnicontrol. It says that whatever happens in your life is God's will, period. Car wrecks, divorce, sickness, murder, rape, child molesters. This is what Muslims believe about Allah. And some of this has crept into the Christian church. This thinking has slipped into our faith as well. Sometimes terrible things happen and we say, well, brother, God's ways are mysterious and past finding out. Maybe God's going to bring some good out of that. Or maybe God's testing you. Uh, Well, just remember, brother, God has it all in control. Remember, God is sovereign. By the way, that means above all. Sovereign means that God is above all is what it means. He's the top of the food chain. This view reasons that if that if God is good and controls all things, then all things must be good or loving or just in some ways. Things that appear evil somehow fit into God's overall plan for good. And this thinking sees God behind all things, including evil, and really is calling good evil. And even more, more than that, it's calling God evil. This thinking started around A.D. 400 with Augustine who taught that nothing happens unless the omnipotent one wills it to happen and that we ought not to attribute the suffering uh, to the will of men or of angels or any created spirit, but rather to God's will. This thinking was picked up by John Calvin in the 1500s and he taught all events are governed by God's secret plan. This view has tarnished the reputation and the image of God and it is not true. It is causing people to have a case of raw, raw attitude. Well, you know, God's in control, so you know, why should I worry about these issues or why should I get involved? It's even worse. It's caused people to have a bitter attitude toward God. I know a lady. Her husband died. Her husband died, and her brother died of cancer. She used to go to church regularly. 
she kind of got this philosophy in her head and she is bitter at God and will not step foot, step foot in a church today. And we have let it creep into our, our church. We, we don't think about it, but we kind of unconsciously have let it get into our, our thinking. Well, when I was studying this, I was praying about this, and I said, Lord, man, Augustine, he's a big dude, Lord. Am I going to question him? And I said, John Calvin, man, he started the Baptist face, Lord. Well, should I be questioning him? You know what the Lord told me? He said, John Calvin didn't die for you, son. Augustine didn't die for you. Clear as day. That's one worldview. The other worldview is what I call the Jesus worldview. Look at his life. Like I said, he was a medic dropped into a war zone. Preaching, teaching, healing, feeding. Remember when he stood up on the mountaintop and he cried for, for Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathered her chicks, but you would not. And he wept for the, our condition. He wept for the, the place that we were in. In Acts 10.38, Peter preached about how God anointed Jesus of, of Nazareth the Holy Spirit power to, to, to go out and heal, and that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus read that same verse, and it was from Isaiah in Luke 4.18. Clearly, Jesus saw that everything happening on the earth was not God's will. Remember the story about the tares and the wheat? When they came to him and said, Master, there's, there's tares in the wheat field. And he said, an enemy has done this thing. He didn't say God did it. Let me give you another instance. When Jesus was asleep in the boat, the storm came up. The disciples feared for their life. And they said, Master, don't you care that we perish? He arose and he rebuked the storm. Now today, if the insurance company, a tornado blows your house down, what do they call it? They call it an act of God. When people get their homes destroyed by hurricanes, what do they call it? Acts of God. It's from that same wrong-headed thinking that Augustine started. We live on a fallen planet. Everything on this planet is not in God's control. He could, but God has chosen to give us free will. The evil on this planet is from the men and angels abusing that free will. That's what causes evil. Don't ever say, well, you know, and I've heard well-meaning Christians say this, some area gets all the fires in California, that's because those people out there are so evil. That's God's judgment. Well, my Bible teaches me that it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Not judgment time yet, folks. So be careful what you say. So we see that if Jesus, if that storm had been an act of God, Jesus would have been rebuking the Father, wouldn't he? And what did Jesus say about a kingdom divided? A kingdom divided cannot stand. So we look at, at Jesus' life and we see that his idea about the world was that it was a war zone, that there was things going on that were not God's will. Another thing, why did Jesus, when he, when he said, I want you to pray this way, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If everything on earth was his will, we wouldn't need to pray that, would we? If everything on earth that's happening was God's will, why would Jesus say that we ask his will to be done in the earth? Okay? Justin Martyr, A.D. 100-165 said, 
But the angels transgressed this appointment. They afterwards subdued the human race to themselves and among men sowed murders, wars, adulteries, intemperate deeds, and all kinds of wickedness. 1 John 1.5 says that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. In 1 John 3.8 He said that He came for this cause the Son of Man was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Clement of Alexander, A.D. 150 to 215, said, So in no respect is God the author of evil, since free choice and inclination originate sin. Tertullian, A.D. 160 to 220, said, Diseases and other grievous calamities are the results of demons whose great business is the ruin of mankind. Origen, A.D. 185 to 254, believed that evil does not proceed from God. So the truth about man is that we were God's crown jewel, but we lost, we fell. The truth about God is that He is love. He is love, and, and if you want to know more about Him, look at Jesus' life. I would encourage you. I, I don't say any of these things this morning to condemn anybody because God is not a condemning God. In, in the Scripture in Romans, He said, Who is He that condemns? Paul posed that question. It's not God. What is the truth about being a Christian? Well, for the last 30 or 40 years, America's, Americans have been told, well, you need to repent, ask Jesus into your life, and get you a fire suit so you don't go to hell. That's pretty much the gospel. Get your name written in a book called the Lamb's Book of Life, and then from there, we're just kind of left to hang. Jesus came not for you to miss hell and go to heaven. Jesus came to restore the image of God, the relationship with God, to put His kingdom back inside us. Amen. We've been taught that, oh well, God's our Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. He is. But that was not the purpose for Jesus coming. That's just kind of like an added benefit. We've, we've been preached a beneficial gospel where we say a sinner's prayer, get our name in the book of, called life so we don't go to hell. Or we've been taught legalism. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, eat this, don't eat that. Christianity is not a religion, even though men have tried to make it a religion. It is a relationship. Amen. It is a restored relationship with God. It is not about what you eat, what you wear, how you dress. Jesus chided the, the Pharisees many times. He said, you're an open sulfur. You're a thing of dead men's bones. You're whitewashed on the outside. You think you're doing good, but inside you're still broken. You're still messed up. The Bible says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we are saved by grace, the unmerited favor of God, through faith, believing in God. I'd like to look briefly at Romans chapter 6. Paul has previously in the other chapters, in chapter 4 he's talking about Abraham. He says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. He just believed. And then in verse 5 he carries that further and tells about how we were justified by what Jesus did. And He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? Or, now there's four no's in here I want you to know. So there's something serious God wants you to know. He says no four times here. And this is the first one in verse 3. 
Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Second no, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also raise, be, live with him. Third, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies mo- no more, death has no, longer dom- no longer has dominion over him. For in the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word reckon there translated from the original language is an accounting term. It's a mathematical term. If there's one thing that men can do, it's math. One one's always two, two and two's always four. So when Paul is saying, reckon yourself to be dead, account yourself to be dead, you know, people get up and they say, well, I'm trying to be a Christian. Stop trying to be a Christian. Be a son. Be a daughter. Work on this, not on this outward side. Work on your relationship, your intimacy with God. Jesus in chapter 14 of John said, or 15 of, of, of the Gospel of John, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bring forth much fruit. Stop trying to resurrect a dead man and put lipstick on him and make him look good. He's dead. God's answer to your old man is he's dead. Count yourself to be dead. Yield your members to the Father. What's that going to take? It's not going to take, well, I've got to watch how I dress. I've got to make sure I don't wear the wrong kind of jewelry or, or I, I, I don't go to the wrong places. It's No, it's getting in a closet and fellowshipping with him. What did Jesus say? Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. If you abide in him, his power is going to produce fruit in you. You can twist yourself and be self-determined and pick yourself up by your bootstraps, but you're never going to produce the fruit of God. The law was given to prove us that. It's not in us. If it was in us, Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross. He did the work. Paul says the work is done. It's finished. Jesus from the cross said it's finished. It's finished. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. That's what he said. It's finished. So if we get this right, you know what will happen? This will get right. All of a sudden, that that guy at work that we can't stand, it won't bother us because we'll see him as, man, he needs help. He doesn't know my Jesus. He's like that because he don't know who he is, first of all, and he don't know my Jesus. We'll start to change our whole attitude about everything because we'll look at things differently. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Where, does the, where, did the, where did the branches, the apple trees, get their sustenance to produce apples? From, from the trunk of the tree, don't they? The tree goes down in the ground. The roots go in there, pull up the nutrients. And all the nutrients flow through the vine into the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. You want to produce fruit? He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bring forth much fruit Henceforth is my Father glorified. See, it's not about me. It's 
not about you. It's about him. His image was lost and tarnished. That's why he came so that we could restore our fellowship with God. We have been reconciled to God by Jesus' death. He says no, that we are baptized into his death in verse 3. In verse 6, he says our old man is crucified. In verse 9, he says Christ is raised to die no more. Reckon yourselves to be dead. And in verse 16, he says that whoever you present yourselves to, you become a slave. Could it be as simple as getting up in the morning and say, Father, I'm not what I want to be, but you see me through the blood of Christ, and I'm accepted in the Beloved. And I thank you this morning, Lord, that you're forming Jesus in me, and I'm going to trust you to, that began this work to complete this work in me. And I'm going to just worship you and fellowship with you. And I'm going to let you take care of that. And you start to walk in that. And you start to put this in your heart. Because this is the written word. Jesus is the living word. Could it be so simple that we've missed it with rules and regulations and legalism and all this insanity trying to fix something that can't be fixed? Because if it could, the law would have done it. It would have done it. So Jesus said, make the tree good and the fruit will good. In John 15, he said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bring forth much fruit. Stop trying to produce fruit you can't produce. Start fellowshipping, abiding in the Son. Have a relationship with the Father. What's the truth about man? We were created for intimacy with God. Jesus died to restore our relationship to put his kingdom in us, not just to save us from hell. He's going to save us from hell too. But to put his kingdom in us because when he left, you know what he told his disciples? He said, I am the light of the world. But when he got ready to leave, he said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to send this Holy Spirit to you. He's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. You'll not need any man teach you. Just walk with the Father. So the truth about man is that we can be restored to our rightful place with God. Jesus came for that purpose. We can know God by studying the life of Jesus and studying His Word. Christianity is not religion. It's not trying. It's not working to get God's favor. We think good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. That's not true because there's not any good people. (laughs) All we like sheep have gone astray. We're all sinners. We're all lost and undone and without hope, without Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I hope today that you don't feel condemned from what I shared with you. But I hope you take these words and that you're challenged. That you'll get alone in a closet and you'll just start talking to Jesus. Be real. Don't worry. Just like Adam was when he was buck naked with God before he sinned, I want you to get in there because he sees you. He sees you through the blood of Jesus. He sees you for what he created you to be. Not what you are. Not where you've been. Not anything you've done. We try to, we've preached sin so much we're sin conscious. But we need to become God conscious. We need to become God conscious. Let's pray. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that you've said your people perish for a lack of understanding. And this morning, Lord, we seek understanding with all our heart. You said if we'd seek you with our whole heart, we'd find you. And we just pray today, Lord, that that you would increase our understanding, 
there's, there's nobody here that's playing church. There's nobody here that's a phony. I, I really believe that from the bottom of my heart. I believe that everybody here is doing the best they know how to, to have a relationship with you. And I pray, Father, today that your anointed would come down on these folks. These are your people, beautiful people that you died for, that you created. You bought them, you created them and bought them back and that you have a plan for their life. And I just pray, Father, that you'd increase their understanding, increase their knowledge of you and teach us, Father, to, to, to seek you first in your kingdom and your righteousness and let you take care of the rest, let you handle all the rest. Teach us to walk in this way that we can glorify you, Father. Because if we worked for it, we would have earned it, wouldn't we? But if it's a gift from you, all the glory is due to you. And we just praise you and worship you today, Father, that you are a good God. There is no darkness in you. Thank you for this day, in Jesus' name.